0: Hello, and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. If you love picture books, if you love beautiful illustrations, if you love art, if you like thinking about what makes something beautiful, this podcast is for you. And let me tell you, In the show notes, there is the most amazing book list of beautiful illustrated books. Let me tell you, you are so lucky. And joining me to talk about beautiful illustrated books is Jennifer Keogh. She is an Irish mom of six mostly adult children. Jennifer blows me away with the wealth of books she proposes through her Instagram account, Beautiful Illustrated Children's Books. She's intimately acquainted with children's literature from her career in the library service. Jennifer is a longtime book collector and is a frequent speaker and writer in Ireland and the UK on topics of marriage, parenting, and family life. So I'm so happy to welcome you here to Bright Wings, Jennifer.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Charity. It's just lovely. It's lovely to be a speaker from across the pond, as you call it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you. Uh, yes. I've been so impressed. I always want to save every post of almost every book that you propose on your Instagram account because you have such a uh, such an eye for beauty. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you because I think so many of us struggle to to identify what is beautiful. Yes.
1: Yes. I I just start by saying how I first became interested in the whole idea of beautiful children's books I used to, I worked in the library service in Dublin um, for part of my career and one of the places I worked was the children the school library service which looked after every school in Dublin um, city and county but we, we were housed in this lovely old building on the quays um, and unfortunately they've sold it on now it's just a shop now but at the time, it was kind of three or four stories high. And the very top story was a reference collection of collectors' children's books. And I used to go up there. I used to work at a, sometimes in the evening. And on my break, I would just go up. And so there were things like that wouldn't really be necessarily for, children, you know, maybe pop-up books and things like that, that you would kind of, that may be easily damaged. Or books that were rare or historic, or you know, of, of great Irish interest, you know, so the very special books were kept in that collection. And funnily enough, there's quite a lot of um, people who work there became adult collectors of books. So then I married and had children, six of them, and it kind of then unfolded. So for 27, or my eldest is almost 27, so for that length of time uh, between Christmas and birthdays, they'd get a, a lot of books, you know. So it's not that I've kind of bought all these books all of a sudden it's been a long long time building up building up my collection you know so and of course for Christmas especially when once the internet came in my eyes would be hanging out on two sticks out of my head I'd (laughs) have you know I have to as like the you know uh, the fine tooth comb going through the whole internet to find the perfect books you know so you know so I was actually very very particular from all along, all along, because it, on top of it, it this place um, also chose all the books for the public libraries in Dublin. So the the librarians who worked there, and at that time I was, wasn't was an actual, you know, I was junior staff. All the publishers and suppliers would drop in boxes and boxes of books, and they spent like most of their day reading books. So one would be in charge of picture books, young adults, you know, the 8 to 12, and... It struck me, I used to love looking through the books and I'd read them as well. But, um, but what struck me is that the vast majority of the picture books, at, even at that time, which was, you know, in the 90s, were ugly. You know, and they, um, I don't say, and you go into a bookshop now, generally, what you see is is very. Mass-produced, you know, things that are done for the market rather than for the actual beauty, or with any aim of uplifting a child to higher to something higher. It's just a kind of a bit like a, you know, the Cartoon Network programs. Not, I don't mean Cartoon Network. I don't watch that, but just I mean the network programs overall. Is that and Netflix and so on. That the idea of just churning out um, content it seems to have taken over from producing quality or producing something that is
0: actually of value. So you've seen things change over time. Yes. Sure. Yes I have. Let's talk about that some more. I am curious just so our so my listeners can get a sense of of you and of what you love. What are what's one of your what's a great work of art or a great artist from history that you that is one of your favorites?
1: One of my favourites, actually, is uh, Sir Lawrence Alma-Tadema. Later on, years later, when I was working in the libraries also, the the art section, you know, I used to love looking at the art books. And there was this artist who I didn't know was um, Alma-Tadema, who drew these lovely or painted these lovely Greek scenes and sea and blues and, you know, the kind of. Greek ladies and so on he was actually British I'm not sure where his name came pretty sure he was British so I kind of leaned towards the kind of the pre-Raphaelites and I do love I must say I do love fine art
0: yeah
1: I just I I would think that I I've been to a few modern art museums and exhibitions and I find myself coming out feeling kind of frustrated and So kind of annoyed, you know, like if you see a pile of spectacles in a pile and that's art compared to like Michelangelo, you know, that he saw this beauty that was inside this form of marble. And he just removed all the things that weren't that, you know, and the amount of work and effort and skill that went into that compared to, you know, splotting a a few blobs on a paper and Mm -hmm. then selling it for 10 million um, I think it's a bit of a swindle to be perfectly. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, I was looking at a, a podcast uh, during the week. During the week, and it was t- a guy, and he was he was talking about this thing about beauty, you know, and the transcendental value of beauty in relation to art. He said, um, so he had his students. He was a university lecturer, and he had his students um, do a critique of this. Picture, he gave them this picture and it was, uh, he said, okay, I want you to write a, a critique of um, this Jackson Pollock, is that his name? A painting and, you know, a thousand words or whatever it was, he told them. And they all came back and said it was inspiring and it was, you know, new and fresh and all this type of thing. And then, he, so they, they wrote all this and then he zoomed out and he said, this is actually my apron for my workshop. He was obviously an artist as well, and they was like, "Oh no," you know. So they'd seen all this that it was actually just, you know, so that they were reading into what wasn't there. So what is art? You know, is a is the elephant you know blowing painting onto the canvas? Is that art, or is that just you know compared to you know the great schools of art?
0: You've touched on a few things I'd love to talk about. Maybe we can first talk about how do we recognize whether something is beautiful or ugly? So I
1: I do believe that our culture has has moved away from beauty. You know, it has been kind of uh, put in the corner as something that is not wanted any longer. I was on a a ferry to France a few years ago. A lot of Irish people go to France on holidays because you can drive onto the boat, you know. So France is a very typical place to go. And it was a lovely summer's evening and we were sailing away from the sunset And it was lovely. So there were a lot of people who went out onto the deck to watch the sunset. All sorts of people, families, couples, old people, like just the usual collection of people you'd see on a ferry. The sun went down and down and down. And then when it disappeared from view, there was suddenly everybody spontaneously burst into applause. And I remember thinking, everybody is clapping. Nobody has told them to. No one has, you know, programmed They're clapping because this is worth applauding. Because they, they were, were...
0: overwhelmed yeah. somehow by this experience that took Everybody them themselves. Everybody thought it was beauty. It, it so, took them beyond themselves. Yeah. So
1: I've, I've seen this thing about, you know, that they, why do we, why do we love a waterfall? But looking at a concrete wall leaves us on, you know, on start. So there, I do d- believe there is such a thing as objective beauty. And that the denial of it is part of our culture's denial of, in your blurb, you know, the good, the true and the beautiful. That the, those three are for sure connected. They're interconnected in a way that you cannot have any without the other two. So something like a sunset is universally appreciated as being beautiful. Beauty is, is something that leaves us with a, a kind of a longing you know, that we, we need beauty. I, I don't consider that. It's Can we say that beauty
0: that, you know, satisfies even, even as it creates longing, maybe that's one of yeah. the features of beauty. Yeah. It satisfies and it also creates longing. Yes. Yeah. Desire.
1: Yeah. The, the, um, I was driving along one time with one of my daughters, she was about 10 at the time and a song came on in the car and she was listening. And then she said, why does why does some music? Why can you feel some music in your chest? You know, and it was some. I I can't remember what song it was, but I I say, well, that's part of the kind of the music and and appreciation of art and appreciation of you know, like animals don't care about the sunset. You know, they don't. They just you know, it's hot, it's cold, it's dark. They need to you know, roost or whatever it is. Only humans care about 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 these things. So I think th- I think from the point of view, is there such a thing as as objective beauty? I d- I definitely do think there is, um, and I think that um, our culture, because it has kind of degraded beauty as something, and our art colleges. If you look at the prospectuses of art colleges now. My eldest daughter had been planning to go to art college, and she started looking through. The prospectuses for the colleges and I remember she was very kind of a forthright sort of person and she fired the prospectus across the floor and she said why would I go there she said that's not art it's so ugly you know so that that is this and, and I had another person that I know that was actually more or less asked to leave for the art college because he wanted to do his thesis on beauty and they said no we don't do that here we don't do that
0: you wow. know, so. What a statement.
1: Yeah. Why so pieces
0: yeah. on beauty. And they're like, no, 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 we don't yeah. do beauty here.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: the difference between beauty and ugliness, can we say that one of the features that will be present if we're looking at something that is beautiful is there might be a sense of wholeness mm-hmm. or symmetry? There's, um, it's, um, like you were saying with the sunset, it's gratuitous. Like there's, it's kind of like all at once and it's, and it's sort of something that didn't have to be yeah so marvelous right yeah. maybe there's wholeness to beauty yeah right you don't have to necessarily you can easily come up with the raison d'être you can re- easily come up with the reason for this painting it it's it explains itself to you it communicates yes. itself to you the pile of of eyeglasses at the art museum doesn't communicate itself to you it doesn't explain its No reason for being there. It has to have a card beside it that explains its meaning. Explains it, exactly.
1: I think the idea of beauty being an end in itself. It's good because it is what it is.
0: We've talked about how do we recognize something as beautiful or ugly. Let's talk about beautiful children's book illustrations. Why are beautiful illustrations important, Jennifer? Why do beautiful illustrations matter? You know, why do they they matter matter to you? And what do you think is their importance in the lives of children?
1: Okay. I think that as parents or as an educator or, you know, teacher or or anyone who has to deal with the formation of children, they have to be very careful of the banal. You know, our culture has become very banal. And I started, I started homeschooling my youngest just before covid and we'd taken her out just as covid was coming in because she has a heart condition and we we didn't know you know how it, how it would affect and it was only then that i had really started studying the curriculum you know just what what is expected you know and i originally thought oh we'll just, i'll put her back after easter and reading the curriculum and then looking at my father was a was a teacher so he had a lot, he had a lot of um books that were decades and decades old and his father was a teacher as well, so. His textbooks that were hundreds of you know maybe a hundred years old. And when I look at what children now say poetry are learning, so one of the one of the poems using beauty in illustration, but also in the written word and music and so on. So this poem was it was in the 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 book that was for the next year, the next year, so she was going to be eleven. The poems were all things like, I made some blue today, I got some Elber's through. I made, oh no, slime. I put in something stinky. My brother was annoyed. Like that was kind of the standard of poetry. And then you open up, you know, a beautiful uh, Robert Louis Stevenson or or the, the, the poet, poet of childhood, Eugene Field. You as know, I was doing these poems. And I'd have to have a box of tissues beside me because I kept crying at these beautiful poems because he does childhood, Eugene Field especially. He, he, his poems about childhood are just so 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 beautiful even in the you know the childcraft books that used to that were very popular when I was growing up the poems in them are are just lovely like so they and a lot of them were kind of contemporary and old and new but they were just whereas now in this curriculum there's one or two you know kind of maybe Robert, Robert Louis Stevenson but most of them were just so uninspiring like nothing that you would remember forever like every child remembers forever in winter, I get up at night and dress by yellow candlelight, you know, in summer, like every child remembers that, you know, but, but who's going to remember? About, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so, so that, and then the books that were being recommended in the school, you know, to read, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid and mm. Captain Underpants and, you know, very lowbrow kind of literature. And here I was, had got a whole, found a, a beautiful curriculum on the wind and the willows the two of us read it together and in fact actually it was because of childcraft that I never actually read The Wind in the Willows as a child because I had just started it when my parents got childcraft so that was the end of The Wind in the Willows. But, um,
0: <laughs> so you never it. so but, you're saying Jennifer there's beauty in illustrations right mm-hmm. there's beauty that we can talk about in illustrations that there's also beauty in action or beauty in the words in the beauty in the way things are written. Yes it's really important to have illustrations that are richly beautiful and, and words that are richly beautiful at a high standard of um, either artistic excellence in the case of illustrations or literary excellence in the case of the words. I guess one of the things that matters to me about beautiful illustrations is that whatever my children are looking at, these images are going to give them kind of like a gut level. My friend, my friend, this is my friend's language, my friend, Aaron Graver, she talks about how my children are growing a gut level instinct for beauty mm-hmm. with every picture that they view. They're growing a standard by which to judge images and experiences in their life. And so we want to give them illustrations that are that talk about the symmetry, the vividness, the goodness, yes. the liveliness, the peace uh, that's possible, that's mm-hmm. available in the world right? And, Mm -hmm. and the images that we offer them, show them what is possible. Yes. And so this is what is so important to me about illustrations. I'm, I'm not simply a snob, right? Yeah. I'm not simply an elitist, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or something that is someone that is uh, someone that's against having fun, yeah,
1: it's actually it's funny because you, I think one of the one of the questions you were, you had mentioned to me or, uh, was about you know are funny books important and I, I think you know well, you can have the, one
0: question I do want to talk yeah. about. Let's talk about it later, but I do want to yeah. ask: Does ugly equal funny? I'm not sure it does. So I, I want to talk about that in a second. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't
1: think you have to be ugly to be funny.
0: And being concerned about beauty and wanting to promote beauty and give your children. Illustrations that are beautiful doesn't mean you're an elitist, right? So yeah. we can we can cross that off our worry list. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a snob, I'm not an elitist, yeah. but I I want my children to have beautiful images, um realistic images because it grows their ability to recognize reality and it also yeah. it also influences what they desire.
1: Yeah.
0: What they I think, think it, is possible, one, and two, what they desire. Mm-hmm. So like I can remember I, in a different podcast, I, I told a story about this version of Snow White. It was probably written in the 50s. It was an old book when I had it back in the 80s, early 80s. And I can remember just immersing myself in these illustrations. And I was so delighted by these illustrations because the, the Sleeping Beauty was dark haired. Yeah. And I was surrounded by images of blonde princesses.
1: Yes. Yes. And I was
0: like, so these images communicated to me that I too could be beautiful. Yeah, there was another way to be beautiful. Yeah, and that was very important to me. And then just recently, I, in this in the same podcast, like um, as an adult, I had an experience of looking at illustrations for "The Night Before Christmas." <laughs> oh yes, yeah. And you could be bored with the words in this story. You could have read them to your children a hundred times. But what comforted me was that my Christmas. I, I didn't have to wait for my house to be, look perfect to have a beautiful life-filled home at Christmas time. Yeah. Here were these illustrations. They were crowded. The house was not necessarily, it's you know, just, super I tidy. I wonder if that's the same one we have and they
1: still have toys on the floor and they haven't done this deep clean for Christmas. That's the one we read every year.
0: <laughs> yeah, And, and your exactly. house could be crammed jammed yeah. with life and beauty and it, it yeah. doesn't look like... Japanese minimalism. Right. But that yeah. was important to me as an adult to see those images. And somehow I was that's struck, normal. Yeah. Yeah. I was struck mm-hmm. by these images and they helped me. They changed me. Yeah. And they, so. they caused a difference in my desire. I, guess,
1: I think that's actually when you asked, how do you recognize that something is beautiful? It's a bit like, um, you know, the 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 idea of, of authentic friendship, you know, you could have acquaintances and, um, you know, drinking buddies, or you've got, you know, just people that you know that you you maybe pass a few words. But the real friend is the person who wants you to be better and you want them to be better and you are better because of them. You know, you want the good. So, and it's like that with books that a book should uplift in some way. So, whether it's just that it's it looks lovely or that it's funny or it's comforting, or it teaches a nice lesson, or it triggers, you know, these mag- these worlds. You know, there's a lovely picture I came up- upon on Pinterest one time and I was a child with a big giant book and she opened, and it opened up the book and it was just like all these magical scenery inside. And I said, that's, that's that was my experience as a child with a book. Now, if a child isn't enjoying a book, people will just say, oh no, we'll try a different one. You know, when I worked in the libraries, It was um, Roald Dahl was very was very very popular, and Sweet Valley High and you know the Babysitter's Club and all of these, and the series that were kind of I feel they were nearly written by computers. You know that they were just the same plot over and over and over again. Then of course Roald Dahl. I'm I'm not going to criticise him. He's not my favourite, and I don't really like the illustrations that he they're a bit scribbly, but there were so many books and children like uh, you get to know children very, very well when they're coming in and especially in kind of areas where you don't see the parents as as much, you know, so kind of maybe more kind of uh, socioeconomically worse off areas where you you see children from morning to night and and never see the parents. So we we got Mm -hmm. to know them very well and great Mm -hmm. storytelling and everything. Whereas in the places where the parents came in, you were so worried about making a mistake reading that you were more stilted. (laughs) But is just always try to to gear the try to veer the children away from just the series that was the same thing over and over again. It was that, that are nearly like a computer game in that the 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 hit is immediate. Whereas to read Little Women or to read The Hobbit or to read you know some of these other even even things like Winnie the Pooh, you have to make a little bit more effort to get into the book. It might take half an hour to get into the book or you know if you're reading Dickens it might be several chapters before you've been talking for adults I don't think you should give little children Homer to read you know they're not ready for it to, to, you know give them Anton B or Winnie the Pooh or something It was almost impossible across the board, no matter where, no matter what socioeconomic area, no matter what, whether boys, girls, it was almost impossible to get children away from just what was the highly marketed books. And if you go into a a bookshop now, I often slink into a bookshop with my phone to see a connect, photograph any books (laughs) surreptitiously. And I might look at all the books and walk out and say, there's not a single book in this shop I would give my child or, or a child. You know, so but you might go into a, the charity shop secondhand. And you might come out with an armful.
0: Isn't that true? You know,
1: so it's it, it, it's it seems that what it, that what is being produced now is just consumables. You know that you, you give a book, it's it's thrown away the next week and then you give another one and then there's another one thrown away. And they're not for keeping for your grandchildren.
0: Oh my gosh, you're right. Because it's it's obvious, it's clear that most publishing houses and most authors and illustrators are are afraid to even claim that they're gonna make something that's going to last.
1: One of my one of my daughters now and she's slowly gathering my eldest daughter, she's she's gathering a collection of the exact same books that she had growing up, you know, because they had that impact on her. And she's getting them for her siblings, you know. So even the ones like you know, the Osborne Puzzle Journeys. They're very, very typical Osborne illustrations, but they loved them because, you know, you you had to travel through these adventurous lands and so on. But she's trying to get the exact editions, you know, that were out when they were small, you know. So, but that just shows that how the template is there at the young age, because if you have something that that made you feel this way as a child, you're going to want that as an adult, you know, And and that's your standard. So that's your standard when it comes to adult books.
0: Honestly, they make illustrations make such a big impact, even Mm -hmm. in silly ways. I I promise you, like there are there was a book called we actually have two copies because because I know I'm going to need to give one away to my children someday. (laughs) Um, We need probably more copies, but it's it's a book called The King with Six Friends by Jay Williams. He's a king without a kingdom and he makes six extraordinary friends that help him to win a kingdom. Mm -hmm. They're people with unusual talents. All my life, wherever I go, I see people who look like these different characters. Oh, yes. yes. There's a boy from university that looks like the, the character with red hair in this story. They really do shape what you see and I think what you desire, um, what you think is possible. Uh, and I think this is especially important because now we think we live in a time, I think, where there's a growing sense that cynicism yes. is the most intelligent approach to reality. Not believing that there's something good. Yeah. And so we need beautiful illustrations to help us see Mm -hmm. more, to help us see more deeply. Yeah. Would you educate us, Jennifer, talk about some of the features of excellent children's book illustrations? So you can, you know, talk about, you know, what are some features of good artisanship? And feel free to use like art vocabulary. It's just as long as you tell us what the terms mean. Some of okay. us who are classically well, educated already yeah, know these things, but
1: I'm not. No. So I'm not. <laughs> I have a pile here beside me and because you were saying to me, what are my favorites? And I think, first of all, it should be lovely. It should be lovely for a child to look at the book. I'm looking here at this one, you're the Bramley Hedge, Jill Barclam. Like it draws you in because there are lovely little worlds that are cozy, so beautifully painted, the colors I'm not a big believer that children only like red, blue, green and, and or red, blue, yellow, you know, the primary colors, primary
0: colors, bright, yeah. simple
1: colors. And I'm not a big believer in, you know, the, I actually found this page the other day about about beige. <laughs> I think she's really taken off about the beige, beige, everything for babies You know, this aesthetic like. But so I think children colors are important for children, but I, I don't think they have to be garish and brash and kind of gaudy. So like Jill Barr and she was only in her, I think she was only in her twenties when she painted all those pictures, you know, the, the nature. And she's very like Beatrix, uh, Beatrix Potter, you know, that they're very, they're very wholesome and, and just lovely and delightful to look at. There's another guy who, do you know the Folio Society? Do you have that in, in the States? I don't know. It's a probably just as well because they're heavy on the pocket, but they, they they produce um, there is a British publisher, but they produce only collector books. so I, I I know this is a podcast, but I'm also looking at you at the moment. But this guy chris chris um, what's his name? Chris van sandwick, he so the books wow. all come and, and they're they are expensive, and they're really gift books. I bought this for my eldest daughter. So it's how to see fairies, but his ba- he his his him. influence is um Arthur Rackham. It, the book looks like it was done a hundred years ago. Uh, he, he has several books, but they are even more. They look like they're from, you know, the 1800s. He's only in his fifties now. So he, it is so beautiful and nobody will ever, if given a book, one of his books will ever pass it on to the charity shop or to the skip or, you know, recycle bin or, you know, they, they will keep it forever, you know, so they're they're so magical so I'm some also,
0: of the f- is, is some of what makes for excellence, right, is is simply like artistic excellence, right? Mm-hmm. Like this book by who who is the Chris Van Sandwick,
1: Sandwick, Chris Charles, was, Charles yeah. Van Sandwick. Charles Van, Van Sandwick. Sandwick.
0: Yeah. Like he can he shows the human body, right, from multiple yeah. positions, from different angles. There's I'm sure there's like there must be like shading and yeah. color distribution throughout the picture. Obviously, a good illustration, it's going to be clear what's being illustrated, right? Sometimes you get yeah. illustrations. It's not clear what's being illustrated. Yeah. You can't see the I picture I think for hardly. small
1: children, I think a book that's too busy can be, can be, you know, so remember the old ladybird books that had, you know, just one thing on each page, but they were very, for small babies, they were very clear what they were.
0: I agree, Jennifer. I think when children are really small, it's important to give them books that show them what is in a clear way. And- and not to do it in a way that, that shouts at a child visually, because sometimes you know I, I they really it, grab attention yeah, instead yeah. of inviting at you, attention. Yeah.
1: So something that draws you in. And I think for children, you know, the person who thinks they're the baby whisperer and the end of children don't like them because they, they're they too in your face. But the person that children are drawn to is often the person who's quieter and just, as you say, invites, you know, and proposes rather than shouts at you and say, oh, hey, and, you know, and the child starts crying, <laughs> you know, yes. so and as you say, that, that's the temp, the, their early years are the template, you know, so their surroundings, their diet, like all of the things that children do, that's the template and that they carry for their life, really, you know, and to change your template, template can be quite, you know, people do it all the time, but it can be quite uh, difficult. You know, like lifestyle change, you know, so you want to lose weight. Oh, well, it's actually a lifestyle change. And that sounds that it's easy, but it's actually not. You know, somebody who has to give up sugar or to give up um, gluten or something, it's, a, it's huge because your template has been what you're always used to. Yes. You develop your your tastes at a young age, you know, yes. so uh,
0: So would you say that, um, so we need we need images that are executed with technical skill. Yeah. Uh, what do you, What do you think about, Computer-generated art. There's obviously there's a high degree of exactness there in a certain yeah, sense, right? Yeah. What do you think of commu- computer-generated? I'm going to put art in quote marks okay. um, because we're not I sure. It's so it, it, it
1: really does depend on the aesthetic. Because okay, my preference is actual art. A, but that isn't to say that there isn't a place for. I, I don't think it's necessary necessary that every single book a child has is a collector's item you know, has been sourced with the you know, some of them can just be a fun book that they read when they're tired or they look at the pictures, you know, or they eat it, you know, babies just love to chew and touch and turn pages like board books. They don't necessarily all have to have, you know, lofty message. I'm neither for nor against computer generated image. I, I am against the kind of blocky, you know, kind of lazy illustration. So there are some 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 graphic artists that do um, that, that I've seen that I've really liked. Um, But I I don't like the lazy, you know, the one dimensional kind of characters are very, and it's very in vogue at the moment, these kind of very blocky, you know, you see it in nature books and history books, you know, that are very simplified. I don't want to mention any because I, I, I'm not trying to bash anybody trying to make a living, you know, because they do sell, you know, so but there's a, certain, there's a few publishers that I just feel that the illustrations have got very lazy.
0: I mean, coming from someone who gives a care, it does seem like there's a lack of technical skill, a lack of craft. And I just want to see someone who cares, who has craft and skill. I mean, what do you see, Jennifer?
1: Laziness in, in illustration. Just slap any old thing on, throw it into the market and people will buy it. It's yeah, so, I
0: think I, mean, I want to see, I mean, I would like to say that I think um, an excellent, Excellent illustrations include an investment of time and yeah. talent by About, yeah. the artist. Yeah. So there's there's some gift of talent that has had to be developed over the course of time. Yeah. And then the creation of the illustrations themselves took an investment of human yeah. time and this talent that the artist has had to develop over years. Yeah. So I, that's, you, that's kind of what I want.
1: And have even you seen with- this, this um, artist, a Sally Mav- Mavor, I think her name is? So she sews, and a book would take three years to make. So... She sews these so tiny, 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 tiny scenes. And I, I have one at least on my, on my page and it's um, about little children going to sleep around the world and their different cultures and the beds. But every single detail is sewed or embossed and she's little bits of wire and beads. And one book could take her three years.
0: That kind of effort is so impressive. It reminds me of this podcast I just did on middle ages and the bookmaking they did. What is this illustrator's name again?
1: I think her name is, is Sally, Sally, M-A-V-O-R. I'm pretty sure that's her name. Incredible. Just absolutely incredible. And I love that her book took so long and took so much effort and her eyes were probably needed to be washed out some nights, you know, just <laughs> tireless. I love that. I love that somebody has made an effort, you know, and not that, oh, it's for children. You can just get, throw a few bright colors on a page and, and that's it. I like people going to effort for children. You know, so people who coach, who coach, uh, you know, toddlers in football or ballet or dance, you know, they're never going to be getting Oscars. But you cannot get the prima ballerina in royal ballet without the church hall (laughs) child and the teenager that's helping them to point their toe, first position, second position. You know, you can. Everybody has to start off at that. So I think th- I love people who dedicate that effort and talent for children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it says some it says you know children are important and they're worth that.
0: Let me ask you this. So I promised that we would have the we I would ask you this uh, later in the conversation and I just uh, and so here it is. I I wonder about ugly books. Are they are ugly books funny? Are they do publishers think that ugly equals approachable is that why we're seeing more books that don't have this same kind of artistic investment of time and talent
1: my own theory on, on ugly books is that it's the same as going to go into a toy shop actually last year I, I was had reason to be in the big toy store and i decided i was going to take a photograph of every toy that was to do with poop by the end of it, oh, oh. I had my whole phone was ready full, and I just felt really depressed. And I said, "This, if this is what you're giving children, and then you're hoping that they're going to turn out as these great, great love, you know, noble adults."
0: Yeah, oh, it makes me wonder if the state of children's book illustration says something about a state of cynicism, at least among adults, of what they think children are capable of, what they think children want, or a cynicism about their own efforts to impart anything that children can sink their teeth into, whether it's like thick humor or beauty.
1: The profane early, you know, the, the prosaic kind of uh, low, low route, you know, but it sells because people think, oh, ho, ho ho you know, this is funny. And I think the ugliness in books, I think it's just a quick market, just throw it up.
0: It's a quick market.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's the consumable, you know, the disposable world, you know, where any old thing. Having said that. The one area where I do think there is still a lot of very beautiful books is in nature, nature books. Yes. It's, I think they're even getting yeah, better. I think, yeah, there's some absolutely gorgeous. There's a lovely one. You that one Slow Down. It's beautiful. And they have it in a board book now. And there's another one down in the woods. There's just, there are some absolutely gorgeous Nature books, but the general ones that are for just babies and toddlers and you know younger children tend to be just very bland, not even ugly, just bland. It's, it's bland, and nearly worse than <laughs> ugly, like just not nothing, aspire to nothing.
0: Do you think children actually like books that are ugly, Jennifer?
1: I think they like books that are funny. So, like Doctor Zeus is, mm. is is not ugly; they're mm. very funny.
0: I kind you of know, think he's ugly.
1: Like, yeah, it maybe fake... it's kind of interesting.
0: Zeus so <laughs> used to make me feel weird and stressed. ill as a child. No, right. Yeah, I can yeah,
1: imagine.
0: Yeah. Um, like the don't let the pigeon drive the bus. People are gonna hate me for saying this, but I oh, don't, care I don't for like this. Yeah, no, images. I don't
1: yeah, no, and that's comes up. I with think they're boring, focused, and I yeah. actually don't think they're that funny. My kids don't no. think they're that funny. I think I think that um a Eric, Eric um Carl, you know the funniest storybook ever and i think they're very uh there's lots of little cute details and that but you wouldn't call them beautiful illustrations and anton b do you remember anton b were very funny and they were very they were off the market for, for years but they, they're back but then you have other funny books like the, the albergs and they have nice illustrations that's anton b do you, do you recognize them i don't know Maybe I don't know just it, but British. I'm writing it down. Yeah, um, <laughs> because I remember my sister. So the the pictures are very um, see they're very simple. Yeah, they're kind of line drawings, but the characters in them are very the very very well formed characters. You know, just kind dog and
0: well, you, the, the illustrations you <laughs> yeah. just showed me the figures are drawn from a difficult angle, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah, they are. But
0: and and but they're not flat.
1: No, they're not. Like, and don't let the pigeon drive the bus.
0: And yeah, I don't like that. I think
1: that's very plain. I can't understand.
0: I can't understand it. I don't get it. Um, I do think it is associated sort of with this this uh, this notion of consumability. Um, yeah.
1: And I think people have this idea that, you know, oh, the great works of art are excess, and there are kind of, you know, the bourgeoisies, you know, kind of uh, like that. that kind of, you must be snobbish if that's what you like. You know, in this kind of um, down to the bring it down to the common man, you know, like the, that I was saying about the early architecture and art was to the idea was reaching something higher than yourself, you know, so whether it's just talent or whether it's God or whatever. And now art, and I think it flows over into the children's books, is they're trying to find some the worst part of yourself and portray that. You know, so a lot of modern art is portraying your own angst or your own, you know, the misery of the human state rather than. And you then know, we the, get children's yeah. books about poop. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> many. There's happens. so many. A Captain Underpants and all of these, you know, that they're very, uh, they, they, they don't r- raise a child's soul to anything higher than potty potty humor you know, and of course, children love, there's a certain age where they just love potty humor. And I'm not saying nobody should ever read, you know, kind of a mass produced book uh, with basically hardly any story and written by a computer. Because, you know, sometimes a child is tired out at the end of the day, and they don't need fine art. They just need something kind of a little bit kind of easy going and funny. But even within that, you can still have good. Yes.
0: I mean, let's face it, Shakespeare had a lot of the renaissance version of potty humor people were drunk or yeah yes or yeah. farting or <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly fooling yeah. around <laughs> yeah yeah but it's still amazing you can yes. still do those things in an in a, in a way that just shows humanity yeah. for what it is in all of its um disparity and and humor so I'm not against I'm not against potty humor wholesale no
1: no (laughs) there's another guy um, he was a teacher in England um, is it Michael Rosen he was a teacher and a lot he has a lot of these Uh, poetry books and uh the pictures are very kind of line drawings and they're very funny a lot of them are to do with the schoolyard you know and really have the finger on the button and they're very very funny I I always loved them like and but you wouldn't say it was fine art you know so certainly a child should have (laughs) A good mix my youngest too she was very very sick as a child her her favorite book was uh, you choose Do you know you choose it's the one where it's nick sharat i think you know if you could go anywhere what would you choose and it's just all these pictures of different houses and then what would you wear and it is so simple and illustrations were just very if they're fun like but they but it was completely falling apart that was that was her favorite book even though i had all the gorgeous books going. But she just wanted something that was the same book over and over again because her life was quite traumatic. And she just wanted the familiar, you know, so children love the familiar.
0: Yes.
1: That's important too, you know. Yes.
0: I wonder what style of art do children find most appealing? Do you think there's one style or not? I have to say that as a child, I remember trying to pick out my most favorite, completely best style of illustrating and of course as soon as I had picked out like this one book I love this the images in this book then I would be like but I also love this book over here and the images are just right for what it's for what it's doing so you know I can remember loving sort of uh Trina Hyman. Oh yes. Oh, she's just St. George and the Dragon. Yeah. Uh, the Kitchen Night. She d- she's done a lot I of fairy her. tales. Yeah. I, I love her images. They they also appeal to the part of me that loves pre Raphael mm-hmm. pre Raphaelite art sort of yeah. moody things. Yes, the eyes. Um, I love as a fine art artist. I love Botticelli. So like the eyes. of yes. illustrations yes. are so important to me. Um, but I've but you know I can't let go of the fact that I also like black and white. Kind of pencil drawings, or well, paint. you know the drawings in, in the little house in the prairie books,
1: like a uh, Garth Williams, um, and he he did he yeah. did quite other books as well. But he it, his books are his pictures are so evocative, and Laura Ingalls actually said of his drawings, um, that's how it was, you know. So they were authentic, you know. So um, and they're black, you know, they're line drawings, you know, but they just bring you into the you know and, and they're not picture books you know they're just illustrations in the novels but yet they just give you the setting you know so
0: yeah yeah so what are some of your favorite artistic styles um, So, wh- and then how do you see them in children's literature i would love to i would love to pick your brain right now oh, and right. if you have so, a list i will I attach have, it to the show notes i
1: have some that i just love so i i love uh dennis Nolan. Oh yes, he has so many. He has so many books, and they are just gorgeous. And he's probably going to sue me one of these days because I'm such a stalker, you know. <laughs> I just love his books so much; they're just all just lovely. And, um, and they're fine art in fairness, but they're also he has ones that are the imaginary world. You know, the one of the sandcastle, you know, being washed. Oh of, yeah. Sea of Dreams is that? I think that's what it's called. But he's also has kind of nonfiction ones. He's one about the the, the wolf. You know, so um, and then the dinosaurs. He he just has such a broad range. I I love him. I love 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 him. I love um, Alberto Innocenti. Do you know him? Okay. Yes, he is uh, Italian, obviously. Um, and my my AI my aim is to own all his books because they're actually adult collector books as well. I mean, they're for adult collect. I mean, they're for children. But uh, during lockdown, one day his one called the house. It's a it's a it's not wordless, but there's very few words in it, and it's a house, just a stone stone built house, um, and going through the the eras. And during lockdown, one day, myself and my husband sat down, and we spent about an hour looking at this book, and we just were in like it was like as if the two of us were just in this world. I think it's based in Italy, obviously, he's Italian. Um, just a just so many details, and I think he's self-taught actually. Um, mm. Is it him or Kennedy Spir- Spirin? One of those is self-taught, which is just incredible.
0: Gennady spirit uh, yeah, I really—he yeah. really appeals to me. Although yeah. some, his figures have so much flow to them. I have to sometimes. I have to really stare at the images yeah. to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I might not love
1: him. You know, they, his little Red Riding Hood and so on. They're kind you know, they're very. I think maybe adults might enjoy them more. <laughs> you know, it's part of the collection. But having said that, I mean, our ones did all, all like them as well. And of course, Beatrix Potter, Jill Barklem, um, Lucy Atwell—very, very lovely, cozy. Do you know uh, the other one, the girl who's? Um, oh yeah, Jan Brett. Oh yes. Our horror books very are popular. just great. Yeah, the kind of Scandinavian kind of feel. Cecily Baker.
0: Oh, I love uh, her. They're Definitely. lovely,
1: like yeah, and she does a lot of. I mean, we know her from the flower fairies but she has a lot of other lovely kind of biblical sort of books as
0: well very
1: very nice yeah
0: i know her just as the flower fairy artist i used to have some for my children when they were smaller i've been enjoying illustrations by pj lynch right and he's irish isn't he i spoke to him
1: you did (laughs) last week (laughs) so oh so i was so excited so my friend Who on who I know in real life, he he lives near me and I know him very well. I knew his whole family. I know his whole family is an artist, and he's also my son's art teacher or in school. And I was looking at his page one day, and I realised that PJ Lynch had liked and commented on one of his posts. So I messaged him and said, "Do you know? Do you know PJ Lynch? I'm a big, I'm a fan girl," and he. So he said, yes, I'm his friend. And, and they he messaged me then and said, PJ told me you can ring him on this number. I said, what? <laughs> oh, no! I, think I said to Donald, I said, I'd love to meet him sometime. But I kind of meant, you know, I'd love to kind of, if you were at something and I was there, like, and you could introduce me and I could get an autograph. <laughs> but he said, I said, what What am I supposed to say to him? He said, well, why don't you ask him to do a workshop with the homeschool mothers? There's a nice little Irish group of of homeschool. I didn't ring him. And then the next day, my friend said, he's waiting for you to ring him. I was so nervous. My heart was pounding so much. And so I rang him. But he, um, he was lovely. And I was telling him about my page. And he was saying, well, that's a really, really important thing you're doing. And I'm really happy that you're doing it. Because, and he, he was, I was saying about, you know, going into the bookshop and, you know, walking out, you know, disappointed, saying there's not there's not a hardly a book that I would give my child. And he was saying, unfortunately, he said, I think the same thing. He said, and I don't think it's going to change soon. You know, so anyway, I had a nice chat. I talk, talked about 15 minutes and <laughs> it was just like one of these. I said, I cannot believe I'm talking to PJ Lynch. Like, I mean, he is just amazing.
0: He has all the features that we're talking about. Yes, exactly. Time and investment of himself over years to develop his talent, invest time in his illustrations. There's a reciprocity between himself and the viewer and the image.
1: I think obviously a mastery
0: of color and shape and and texture the mood in all those pictures. Look so at the the Christmas angles, um, representing yeah. figures from different angles. He's yeah. just he so has a new one masterful.
1: out just right now. Actually, they passing by woods on a sto- strap stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Yes, get it. but That's he right. the Irish legends. So the ancient Irish legends are some of the oldest stories in the world. Like they're thousands, like they're poor Christ to so the Irish legends, and you could make such an amazing. Hollywood movie out of them. And yet you would try to buy books in Ireland on the Irish legends. And you get, you know, that Finn McCool, you know, he looks like a scarecrow with his arms, you know, and he walks a lot, you know, stuck out like everything is just so uninspiring. And then PJ Lynch comes out with the book of Irish legends, the name, name upon the hearth. And I gave it to my eldest daughter to read and she came down and she said, my only problem now is she said is, I'm in, I'm in love with Finn McCool and Lou it was his father or something. I said, well, talk about falling for unavailable men, but yeah. <laughs> first of all, they didn't exist. And if they did exist, there were thousands of years, but they, but that's what the illustrations had had done that they were brought it to life. They weren't just a kind of children's fables, you know, and now we'll, you know, just get through this and stick it up in the shelf. It was something that you would fall in love with the characters Mm. you know and the, and he the helps you her- to heroism see. and yeah
0: it's his yeah. images that hits, it's his illustration mm. that help you to see yeah that this is a treasure
1: these are that, I mean the Irish legends are us. as good as good as any Homer you know they're as yeah. good they're amazing you know so and um, and really underdone oh. when it comes to the artwork for them but he he has made up for that he's my favorite Irish illustrator one of my favorites actually in the world him definitely. And lovely, now that i to, lovely, lovely man.
0: Very, very nice. Very amenable. Jennifer, this has been such a pleasure talking to you. What a lively Same conversation. Thing, yeah. <laughs> it's I, so wonderful to meet someone who cares as much as yeah, I do.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to wander a bit. <laughs> That's the Irish way, you know. <laughs> we often in an irish conversation at the end of it you say how did we get to this point and you start going back and you say oh, we spoke about this and then that to <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. well jennifer <laughs> so, thank you it's really yeah. been delightful to talk to you
1: you too you too yes I, I i love listening to the to all the different your different guests so hopefully uh, i think it's a great it's a great work you're doing as well thank you
0: Be sure, friend, to check out the sumptuous book list attached in the show notes. You can help me out by donating a couple of dollars for this podcast if you have enjoyed it. You can also support me by reviewing this podcast and rating it and downloading it. Hey, and I also wanted to let you know if you are curious about beauty and you want to think more about it and you want to unpack it a little bit more, I'm attaching several videos by Sir Roger Scruton in the show notes as well. He has some really helpful ways of talking about beauty and ugliness. So if you want to think about it in a larger frame, more than just children's illustrations, you can do that. He has a lot of good things to say. With him, in the words of Fyodor Dostoevsky, we know that in the end, Beauty will save the world.